0: welcome and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from central baptist church in kannapolis north carolina as student pastor justin stevers shares from the bible how to live in a fallen world the goal of central baptist church is to change the world by teaching the word of god come let's listen in god you are so good Lord, we thank you for your grace, your mercy to us that you have given us that we may come together and glorify you as your body. I pray that we will give you the glory you deserve, that we will listen to you, and that we will take your word and apply it to our lives, Jesus. You are worthy of all glory. You are worthy of all honor. You are worthy of our attention and our affection tonight. So we want to give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and start flipping with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We've been there for a minute now um, as we are navigating through 1 Corinthians. And in youth, we are, we've just started a new series. It's really an old series that we're doing again. Um, three years ago, we, we did a series with the youth called Superheroes Can't Save You. And this series was actually really cool. I had a good time. A lot of the youth at least lied to me and said they had a good time um, going through this series. And it, it's, it's going through common mistakes. I've talked about it before, but common misunderstandings that people have about Jesus, Um, some ancient heresies that trickle through uh, to today. Um, I think, well I was gonna say, I think Solomon said, no Solomon said there's nothing new under the Sun, right? Uh, One old dead guy um, who's not really great to read, but he had a few good things to say, but uh, he said uh, you have to be, basically, he said you have to be super creative to create a new heresy. Uh, everything has already been done before. But uh, we're, we're going through this series, Superheroes Can't Save You, and, and they're taking these misunderstandings that people have about Jesus, and they're comparing it with superheroes. Uh, for example, we just finished Superman, and Superman is 100% Kryptonian, 0% human, but he looks human, and he, he wears that disguise. Well, the heresy was that uh, back in the day, and it still trickles into some thought today, was that Jesus was just 100% God and only seemed to be a man. Well, that's a false teaching, and the Bible corrects it and says, no, Jesus is truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man. 100% both in the hypostatic union. Blows your mind a little bit. But we were going through this series and I was trying to think of an illustration to open up the, the, the message tonight, an illustration that applied to the, the text that Paul was saying, and I could not, for the life of me, get superheroes out of my brain. So I have to, I couldn't get it out of my brain, so I had to appropriate, I had to steal a superhero analogy. I have to squeeze it in here because I couldn't not do it, um, and then hopefully the youth will forget it by the, time we get to this superhero. Um, So, as I was thinking through this passage, I kept on thinking about one specific superhero. And in the comics, this superhero was a scientist. He was a genius, just like all of them, I guess, but he was a scientist named Hank Pym. He managed to make a suit that would shrink him really small. And it would keep his mass and his strength the same. And who do you think that superhero was? Ant-Man. Good job. One gold star to who said that one. Ant-Man. So Hank Pym, he created this suit. He could shrink really small and he was Ant-Man. Well, things would go on. And sometimes in order to save the day, they don't need a really small superhero. They need a really big superhero. So he reverse engineered the suit and he became a giant. And then he, in becoming this giant, he was no longer Ant-Man, he took on a new persona and that new persona was a really creative name called Giant Man. And then Giant Man would go on and save the day and Hank, Hank Pym had that persona of Giant Man. You know, later on they, they would need wings and a yellow suit and he would become the Yellow Jacket. And Hank Pym was the same guy, but in each of these suits, in each of these contexts, he put on a new persona. When he was in the small suit, he was Ant-Man. When he was in the big suit, he was Giant-Man. When he was in the winged suit, he was the Yellow Jacket. And Hank Depending on the context, he would be a different person. He was divided. And I think that is a common temptation for Christians today. I think the common temptation is to be like Hank. What I mean by that is it's our temptation to compartmentalize, to divide up our Christian life, right? Maybe I'm going to live this way and be Sunday school Christian over here, but then in this context, I might live another way. I might be a Bible man over here. Did you guys ever watch that? Bible man? That was good. But I might be Bible man over here, and then, I don't know, a party man over here. I might be one person this way, another person the next. In, In this context, I have this persona, but in the next context, I'm something else. And I think this is a temptation. This is a common temptation for every Christian, I believe. I think it's, it's most obvious in students today, I believe, not today, but always, because I think they have so many contexts, and they're trying to learn who they are, but I think it's not just students who struggle with this. I think this is a common temptation for every Christian. And Paul is seeing a version of this in the Corinthian church. People are trying to divide up, to compartmentalize their Christian life. And I think we'll have some good takeaways from what Paul has to say here. So like I said, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20. And like I said, it's, it's been a little bit since we've been in 1 Corinthians. I've been enjoying... Uh, Paul rebuking me over and over again as we walk through this book, as he writes this letter to a messed up church. And this church, which is in this wealthy, this culturally diverse city of Corinth, this church is in danger. It's in danger of being influenced more from the culture around it than from the Holy Spirit within it. And Paul has addressed disunity in the church. He's addressed serious scandalous sin that the church has applauded last time we talked Paul had one main point and it was stop suing one another and out of that main point we saw how we are to extend overflowing forgiveness and live out radical repentance what well, today Paul is going to address the fourth problem that is prevalent in this church and in our passage today, just like last time, Paul has one main issue that he's addressing, but we see some profound implications for our life, profound applications for our life today. And the main issue that Paul is addressing today is, once again, he's addressing sexual immorality that is rampant in this Corinthian church. They're claiming, the, the, the church in Corinth is claiming that they're covered by grace and their souls are right with God. But if my soul is right with God, what does it matter if my body is doing something apart from God? If, if my soul is right, right with God, who cares if I sin with my body? Isn't my soul more important? Is what the Corinthians were saying. What does it matter if I visit the prostitute and Paul says well it matters eternally what does it matter it matters to the utmost and we may see this just like last time i think well i don't struggle with that issue check that box off next passage paul but i think if we step back if we think for a few seconds we can see how close to home this temptation hits to our hearts today. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and stand as we honor God's Word. We'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient or beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of of any, meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All right, you can have a seat. What we see here in this passage is we are called to glorify God in every little area of our life. We are called to glorify God in everything. Every way possible. Ignoring and eliminating any excuse to do otherwise. And Paul gives us four reasons to do so. So the first reason Paul gives us to glorify God in everything is if you belong to Christ, you are free. So sacrifice for self-control. An underlying mistake that these Corinthians were making was they had a low view of their bodies. They were subtly falling into the, the thought that I am spirit, I am spiritual, so whatever is physical is less important. My soul is saved, so who cares what I do with my body? And I I don't have time to give the whole biblical theology of of body and soul, but, but this goes against the Bible's teaching. God created us both physical and spiritual, Inseparable to a degree. Both important, not one without the other. What happens to the physical is important. What happens to the spiritual is important. They are united. We were created physically with bodies. Verse 14 talks about we will be resurrected, we will be glorified on the last day with physical, perfect bodies. We aren't trying to escape a a physical existence like the Buddhists. No, verse 13 says our body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. He cares about what you and I do on this earth. You are not, your actions are not inconsequential here today. But sometimes we can slip into this thinking also. Maybe it's not as obvious as, as the Corinthian church who say, who might fall into the, the dualistic thinking that everything physical is evil and everything spiritual is good. Maybe, maybe we don't fall into that trap, but the concept of, well, my soul is saved. I can do whatever I want is rampant in the church. And I don't think it's it's anything new. I don't think this is a Uh, one specific generations issue. Uh, Like we said, there's nothing new under the sun. This is happening 2,000 years ago, and Paul is writing about it. So how do we fight this concept? This concept of my soul is saved, now I'm going to do what I want. Well, first realize that your salvation is internal and external. Pastor Dean touched on it this morning. Your salvation starts with faith And it has those internal roots. But those internal roots are going to grow, going to spring up, and going to show out external fruit. So the roots will grow and produce fruit if it's true saving faith. And this fruit looks like godliness, which is the fruit of the Spirit. You're growing in godliness. It also looks like good works. James talks about this in James 2, Paul touches on this in Ephesians 2. As Martin Luther would say, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It will produce godliness. It will produce good works. It will produce spiritual fruit. So these Corinthians were justifying their actions and claiming that it it wasn't a sin. We, we we've got the 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 roots covered who cares about the fruit well if you look uh in these uh texts uh, look at verse 12 some of your bibles if you're looking at verse 12 might have uh, quotation marks there at the beginning it's okay if your bible doesn't but but these quotation marks are to show that paul is actually quoting what he's hearing the corinthian church saying he's quoting some slogans that they are using to justify their actions. So Paul's quoting their slogans to justify themselves, and and Paul is saying, you guys say this, but this is actually true. What I say is actually true. So first we see the slogan Paul addresses is the Corinthian church has been saying, well, all things are lawful to me. All things are lawful. All things are permissible for me. That's used twice in verse 12, and again, they're using this to excuse their sins, and the Corinthian church is actually kind of right here. They, 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 they grabbed a little kernel of truth and then distorted it, and how often do we see that in scripture in our lives today? We, we see that, yes, you started with a nugget of truth, but how did you get here? I mean, I think of uh, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, right? Did God really say? You, you started with a little kernel of truth and then you just put a little question there. Well, they started with this truth and they twisted it. They're kind of right. There, there, there is freedom in Christ. Christ doesn't demand a, a list of do's and don'ts to, to force us to live a certain way in order to receive salvation. Christ does offer true freedom and true grace. But with the freedom that is found in Christ, we are limited by the law of love. We're limited by the law of Christ, as Paul calls it in Galatians, the law of liberty, as James calls it. And this sounds kind of like an oxymoron. You're saying we're free, but we're limited? How does that work? You're saying we're free, but we're still under the law? Yes, we are free To love Christ and love always limits freedom I'm married to Lizzie I love Lizzie and my love for Lizzie limits my freedom limits my actions I can't love other people the same way I love Lizzie my love limits me well Paul shows this concept over and over again yes Church in Corinth, we are free in Christ. There are even conscience matters that we're gonna talk about in a couple chapters where you can decide one way or another on and you're free in Christ to make that decision. That's okay. But we are free to love Christ. And in this love, we are not free to love our sin. Things that are contrary to God and our eternal good, we're not free to love that. So this church has a wrong view of the body. This church has a wrong view of freedom. And Paul answers this slogan. Well, you say all things are lawful to me. I say that not all things are expedient or beneficial. You say all things are lawful to me. I say I will not be brought under the power. I will will not be dominated by. I will not be mastered by anything. And do you see the answers that Paul has here? Is, is what I'm about to do beneficial and is what I'm about to do mastering me? Well, beneficial seems like such a vague word. I, I, I hear, I don't want to believe it, but I hear running a mile a day would be beneficial to my health. Is that what Paul means by beneficial? No, Paul doesn't mean a, a vague, define your own beneficial. As we see throughout this letter, Paul is talking about an eternal benefit, an eternal good that he's looking forward to. Does this benefit my walk with Christ is what Paul is saying here. Does it glorify him? Does it help others see his glory? And these are the questions that all of us should be regularly thinking on. These are the foundational thoughts that we should have before we or do anything? Does this glorify Christ? The question of, and you get this a lot as, as a youth pastor, which I get it, you get it a lot as a youth pastor and when we do question and answers, you get this question. Is fill in the blank a sin? That question is too low for a Christian. The question should be, does this benefit my walk with Christ? Well, then Paul answers with, I will not be mastered by anything. Not everything benefits me. Also, I don't want to be mastered by anything. Well, how many things can so easily master us? I think if we took a little peek at our screen time, we could see that we can easily be mastered in some things. I think if we check our cravings and our appetites and how they affect our emotions and our actions, we can see who's mastering whom in a situation. Check our desires for instant gratification in whatever area that looks like, and we can see if we're being mastered by something. I, I see this all the time on the internet, funny meme. I know people are joking about this, but little picture of, uh, what, 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 how's it go? It's like, one, don't talk to me before I've had my coffee, right? Have you ever, you know people like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. Well, if you need your coffee to show the fruit of the Spirit, you're being mastered by your coffee. Now I know no one in here is like that, but, but that's a silly little picture of it. There are so many things fighting for our attention and trying to master us. Bad habits, addictions, being stuck in a cycle of sin. And we could fall to these things and it may seem helpless, but Paul gives us hope. Christ gives us hope. Paul reminds us that in Christ we are truly free. We are actually free. Christ has defeated sin and death. If the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed, right? We have victory. We don't need to let anything master us. Like Paul is saying here, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be free from addiction. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be free from living for the approval of others. We can be free from our love of money, our habitual sin, our quick temper and bitterness. We are free in Christ. So we must live out that freedom with sacrificial self-control. In youth, we just finished the book of Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, Paul tells us to murder the sin in our life murder those things that do not benefit us and this takes sacrifice killing sin can hurt killing sin is a painful process it's like going under the knife in an operation operating table right with no anesthesia it can hurt a lot This takes sacrifice. We may have to take difficult steps to kill sin. We may lose friends or jobs, but we know that our great reward is like a treasure of immeasurable price. We will not be found wanting when we are with our King. So right now, we should be growing in our self-control and living for that reward. And this self-control, good news, is a fruit of the Spirit. We don't have to muster up enough strength to to show this self-control. We don't need to drink enough coffee to show this self-control. We just need to abide in Christ, live for him, and it will flow out of us. So we see we have to sacrifice for self-control. Next, we see if you belong to Christ, you are united with Christ, so we should fight for faithfulness. When you give your life to Christ, when he saves you from your sins, you are united with him. Romans 6 says, we have been buried with his, himself. We've been crucified with him. That's Galatians 2. Romans 6, we've been buried with Christ. We've been raised again with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the spirit I live by faith, in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we have life in Christ, our life is Christ. We are united with him. We are one with Christ, part of his body. And how unthinkable, Paul is saying, to take Christ's body and use it for sin. The Holy One, the sinless Savior, the the one who lived a perfect life, who died as a substitute for sinner, We want to take his body and join it with sin? Paul is saying that is absurd. He says, absolutely not. And we see that in in this specific sin that the Corinthian church is committing, they are twisting what God made from the beginning to be between a husband and a wife in a committed covenant of marriage. And instead, they are treating this gift like a valueless commodity from a fast-food restaurant. They're treating it like garbage. This is something that is spiritual, that is sacred, that is God glorifying, and they're treating it as as common trash. And in our culture today I don't think we we have to think too long to see some overlap and some connections with statistics of immorality inside and out of the church flying through the roof. We need to remember that this marriage covenant, this marital act is a good gift from God that should be honored. And it should point us to the goodness of God. It also points us to, as we're glorifying Christ, we get to enjoy his good gifts in the right perspective. They become sin when our love gets disordered, but when we enjoy God, enjoy God's gifts and give him the glory through it, it's, it's not sin, it is joy. And our marriages are to point to the faithfulness of God. Our relationship with God, uh, Ephesians 5, right, is, is analogous to a marriage. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the metaphor used of Israel being a, the wife of God, right, in this covenant relationship with God. And one of my favorite illustrations of this we see in Hosea's life. If you're familiar with the story of Hosea, he was a prophet who God told to marry a promiscuous woman, Gomer. And Hosea, Hosea married Gomer. He loved her. He provided for her. He was a good husband. But Gomer went back to her old ways. Hosea still, despite that, pursued her over and over again, even bought her back. After she was already his wife. And in this, God is painting a picture of himself with his people. And how often is that you and me today? God is faithful. He pursues us. He loves us perfectly. He provides for us. And we turn back. We want to go back to our sins that we once loved. We Go back for satisfaction knowing that these sins could never satisfy us. And how often are we unfaithful to Christ? Well, don't be discouraged. The the good news, Christian, is where sin abounds, grace abounds more. When you fall, God is right there to pursue you. God is right there to pick you back up. So get up repent, and embrace your God. Faithfulness is something we have to fight for. If, if we leave it to ourselves, we naturally drift towards our old loves. We, we drift towards pride, towards selfishness, towards lusts, towards idolatry. We have to, as Ephesians 12 says, we have to throw away everything that doesn't help us run, and we have to run to Christ with endurance The Christian life is a life of daily, hourly, even secondly, discipline, devotion, and repentance. So we have to fight for faithfulness. The good news is God gave us each other to fight together with. So we are called to link arms. Again, as Pastor Dean talked about this morning, we are called to link arms, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, confess to one another, and help one another, your neighbor sitting in the pew next to you, your neighbor in Sunday school, the other church members around you, to help one another fight for this faithfulness, and they will help you. Then we see third, if you belong To Christ, you are God's temple, so pursue purity. The theme of the temple is something that we see throughout Scripture. We see it all the way in Genesis 1 through 3 in the Garden of Eden, and all the way at the end in Revelation 21 and 22. We see the theme of God's temple. God, who is omnipresent, chooses to uniquely dwell with his people. And in the temple, we see various regulations to keep the dwelling place of God holy. The the holiness of the temple was shown by all the steps one had to pass through before entering the most holy place, the holy of holies. And only the high priest could enter the holy of holies, like Pastor Dean talked about again this morning. But he could only enter after He took various steps to ensure that he was physically and morally clean, and and he could only enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. And good high priests would feel the weight of this responsibility. They they, they felt the seriousness as they approached God. They understood what it meant to face the holiness of God. And Paul gives two mind-blowing facts here. First, the temple where God uniquely dwells is with the church now. The temple is even in the individuals that make up the church. The most holy place isn't some section of a building, but it is in believers. And this would have been an earth-shattering truth for that high priest. Imagine time traveling, going back and telling that high priest, hey that holy of holies is in me now imagine his reaction but then imagine his reaction if you told him that yeah, that holy of holies is in me now and I'm letting serious unrepentant sin into that holy of holies that would have been appalling to this man that is what Paul is saying. This is unthinkable. So, pursue purity. Again, we will fall. Again, this isn't some, you know, get yourself clean to come to Jesus. This is empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursue purity in Christ. Just like fighting for faithfulness, pursuing purity is an active step and it is a Spirit-empowered step. Pursue purity for all it's worth because you are God's temple. So live in a way that reflects his glory and his holiness. And then as we conclude, we see that if you belong to Christ, you are not your own. So glorify him, glorify God in everything. So we're back to the the main thread holding all this together. Paul's Paul's argument here is is you do not belong to yourself. You do not exist for yourself. You exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Glorify God in everything. There isn't one square inch of your life that Jesus doesn't own or doesn't deserve glory in. There isn't one area where you can hold back from glorifying God in. You can't give God your Sundays and your Wednesdays and then say, I'll take Fridays and Saturdays. Every little part of your life should be lived for the glory of God, to show off how great he is and what a great savior he is. And this is why you and I exist. And in doing what we exist to do, we will be most fulfilled, most satisfied, most joyful. We're living for an eternal glory, immeasurable riches of joy, so don't settle for, for the mud pies that this world offers. Don't try to divide your Christian life up like the Corinthians. God gets the spiritual, I get the physical. God gets my church days, I get the weekends. God gets me when I'm with my Christian friends, but when I'm alone or with these friends, I get that time. Glorify God at all times. Live for his glory. Sacrifice for self-control. Fight for faithfulness. Pursue purity. And in doing these, we will glorify him in everything. So as Barry and Karen come up, just one real question as we just reflect for 30 seconds. What areas may you be dividing And holding back from God you may want to give him glory but also want to enjoy this thing instead but Jesus said like a man who sells everything to buy the field with the treasure of infinite worth you and I will be greatly rewarded when we let go of what we have and hold on to the kingdom of God So what do you need to give to God? What's the the first step? What do you need to give over to him this week? Are you living out the true freedom that you have in Christ? The freedom that causes you to show off how good he is? As we reflect, and then we'll sing a verse, and I'll come back up and pray. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.